So you know what the worst feeling is? A worm in your apple. No, I mean, good answer, but no. <laughs> apple uh, worm in uh, your apple. And of course, there's an answer to the question that you're never going to guess on your own. It's when you reach into a bag or a box or anything, and the flavor you pull out is lemon. Oh, poor lemon. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's the generic, <laughs> it's the unwanted flavor. I like right? lemon. I'm not saying you don't like it, but if there's other flavors in there, you want those more than you want lemon. That's like, true. This is universal, right? That when you, like at Halloween, you get the little two packs of Starburst. And when you open it and it's like, ooh, a pink and a red, you're so excited. Or double pink. When you open it, oh, double pinks are the best. But you open it and double lemon, it's like enough to ruin your day. (laughs) And I'm not even, I'm not even joking. You all, you you know, it's true. Everybody knows it's true. Uh It's a thing. Yeah. And so before we came in here, I reached into the box and just by, blindly grabbed a you bubble water lemon. and I, I got a lemon. That. You're drinking right? I could have gotten lime. I could have gotten grape, thr- grape, grapefruit, <laughs> any number of citruses, citri, <laughs> and I got lemon. I like lemon. I'll take your lemon. Do you know why lemon is so bad? They call bad things a lemon, right? Like a car, you get a bad car, it's a lemon. Yeah. Life gives you lemons. I get that. It's yeah. the worst. Oh, poor lemon. <laughs> Welcome to the Thought Honey Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Andy. And we're going to start with the quote of the day. Andy, go ahead. You've got this one. We've got a good one. And this quote today was chosen partly because it's Halloween tomorrow Whoa. and partly because I turned 30 this month. <laughs> yeah, bigger laugh. And I'm thinking about death and things. So here we go. This is from Mr. Mark Twain. And he said... Thousands of geniuses live and die undiscovered, either by themselves or by others. And that sounds really confusing because it sounds like we're talking about people dying by themselves. <laughs> that's right. People dying alone. And it's really sad. It's a real downer. But yeah. that's not actually what we're talking about. What we're talking about is uh, the way he says it, genius is dying undiscovered, where the genius, you are the genius who died without discovering that you were a genius. It's mm-hmm. this idea that people die without even realizing their own value, capacity, mm-hmm. their own talents, what they really had to offer internally. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that we go through life and we don't discover what those are. Maybe other people don't see it. And so many of us kind of come and go without realizing the fullness of who we are as a person. But here's here's the thing. Like, here's the thing about like thinking about your life and its meaning and mm-hmm. death, of course, is part of that. it. I have been thinking a lot about it. And it's, you know, if, if thinking about death isn't fun for you, then you maybe skip ahead. But um, I mean, we have those moments in our lives where our mortality kind of floats to the surface and we feel it. Like we always kind of know, okay, yes, yeah, someday I'm going to die. We know someday... I'm going to be 40. I'm going to be 50. I'm going to be 60. I'm going to be older. We know the passage of time, but there are those moments where we really feel it. And in those existential moments where we're really feeling our life pass us by, Mm -hmm. we tend to look back and we reflect and we think about how have I lived so far and am I okay with that? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to make adjustments? Right? Yeah. And it, you know, it's just, I I think it's important to make the most of those times where we're actually feeling it. It's more powerful when you feel it than it is when you just think about it. And you you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, oh, if there is one person who probably felt those teenage years of invincibility, 
that would be me, like to a T, <laughs> where it was like the concept of dying. In fact, there's a little bit of residual stuff in my head still where I'm like, no, I'm not dying. Like never. It's never coming. It's just not. Sit. Maybe it'll come next year when I turn 30. <laughs> you. <laughs> it's only going to last for a few hours at the end of the day. <laughs> because, um, because, yeah, you're right. Like you look back and it's kind of like, you know, what have I done and what am I going to do? You know, moving forward, you, you get a reflection of what matters, what what, what's important and you start reassessing how you want to spend your time because now you realize it's fleeting right and as we go day to day we think we know what we believe and we think we know what's important to us but the real measure of what's important to us is what are the decisions we've made so far i can say that spending time with my family is the most important thing but if i look back at the last five years and i think i haven't spent time with my family the way that i actually want to then I have to look and see like, hey, I'm not living my life. Like just because I think that's important doesn't mean I'm living my life that way. Mm -hmm. And when we get a little bit evaluative of our life, I, I think that can be a healthy thing. It helps us kind of kind of kick us into gear. Yeah. And the only thing that's really sad is that we just wait for these moments to come every so many years or every so often where like once a year, for example, uh, month of November is coming up, we get all grateful once a year. Mm -hmm. December comes once a year and we get all charitable because we feel it. And then the rest of the year, we just kind of live our life and we don't access these things often enough. We don't access this kind of feeling of how am I living my life and where do I want to make changes? Yeah. What do I have to be grateful for? How can I be more charitable and more giving? Mm -hmm. Right. And we just don't do that. And yeah. we can do it more often if we do it intentionally um, through things like self-reflection, meditation and so on. But I, I just think it's important to make the most of those moments where we feel something. Uh, humans are really emotionally motivated. Yeah. And if you use those moments right, then you can actually use them to redirect your life. Right. Make a habit out of it. Now, here's one other thought. Last thought on death mm -hmm. for now. You know those moments that you think will never come? Like until I turned 30, in my head, I was never going to be 30 or older. I was always going to be in my 20s. It just did not register that it was going to happen. Or I remember being in high school. And I, do you, I don't know if you relate to this. I thought I'm never actually going to graduate and move out and move on with my life. Oh, I knew that was happening. I yeah. knew that before I even started <laughs> high school. Yeah, no, there was. Yeah, that was that was like, a, I can't sprint fast enough kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't coming very fast, though. Like it's like, oh, is that ever actually going to get here? I don't know, maybe not everybody feels that way, mm -hmm. but I've certainly felt that way. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you don't see yourself as, okay, I'm actually, I actually got married. That's weird. Yeah, that's true. Like that actually happened. And it's like, what the heck? I'm a parent now. I'll tell you what hits me is actually um, when I scroll through TikTok and there's somebody in their like mid 20s and they're all like making references that I don't recognize. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second, I'm mid they're they're like my age, right? And they're not my like, age. I got older. I got older. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's like life is just this collection of events and milestones that we look forward to. Mm -hmm. Right? It's that next job, it's that next home, that next place, that next stage, retirement. All of these different things that we look forward to. Mm -hmm. And at each of these milestones that don't actually register that they're going to arrive, when they arrive, a lot of times they're those existential moments where we look back yeah. right? and we look at our life. But I imagine that's basically what death feels like and what dying feels like. 
And I mean, assuming you get a chance to reflect in that moment um, <laughs> and that you know it's happening. That's not necessarily oh, true man. for everybody. But is it's that last moment where you're like, oh, I always kind of knew this would happen, but it didn't actually register. And now I'm here. And the difference is all you have to look at is back and forward. I mean, this is this is the end of the road. Right. And it's unknown for me. That's what I imagine it feels like is Mm -hmm. it's these moments where you look back, except you don't have the looking forward. And the reason that's really powerful to me is it's the idea that when I get there, that's it. It's like no more Mm -hmm. chances for adjustments. And because kind of life is so fragile anyway, that thought actually makes me want to live better now. Right. So that when I get to that point, I can look back and feel really good about where I've been. Right. You get like kind of a fresh perspective of, of what actually matters. What are you giving your time, your limited time here to be alive on? What are you, what are you giving that to? Are you giving it to the things that matter or things that aren't going to matter when you hit these milestones and you look back and say, why did I do that? <laughs> like that, that wasn't what I wanted to do with my time. I remember this old uh, Peanuts strip where someone tells i think charlie brown tells lucy or someone you know live every day as if it were the last day of your life and then lucy goes around yelling like everybody it's the end of the world go home hug your families like and and she's like panicking and having this whole like existential crisis and just losing it and you know that's not exactly what charlie brown meant but (laughs) that's kind of for some people (laughs) for some people yeah Time for buzzwords. And today, Leah's in charge of that. Yes, I am. So today's um, buzzword is contempt. And it's defined as fueled by long simmering negative thoughts about one's partner. And it arises in the form of an attack on someone's sense of self. I can't, I can't even believe you would read it that way. It's ridiculous. I can't. I just can't. So that's what contempt sounds like. Right? Did you hear it where I'm like really belittling and kind of making fun? I rolled my eyes. You couldn't see that, but you could feel it, right? Like I had the tone of an eye roll. The sigh. Right? And it wasn't just like mild annoyance. It wasn't just like a little thing. It was like I was not holding anything back and I was clearly trying to make her feel bad. Right. Well, and I love they, they specifically are saying it's not just like about the behavior it's ju- it's about the actual character of the person it's their self it's an attack on them on their visual of themselves yeah we talked about criticism last time where instead of talking about behavior you talk about character contempt is beyond criticism it's beyond the character stuff and, and it's you're like just criticism really on steroids yeah it's way worse and so just to be clear that thing that i said to her after she read the definition that was just me giving you an example of contempt i wasn't actually saying that to her right i and- am a smart woman Yes. Yes. And so contempt is, it's the second of Gottman's four horsemen. Mm -hmm. And again, remember the first one was criticism. We'll get to the other two in our next two episodes. But the thing about contempt that makes it so poisonous is it has all of this negative feeling behind it. Mm -hmm. It's a manifestation of crappy feelings and thoughts that you've harbored about your partner that show up as a really kind of mean spirited action Mm -hmm. whether that's words or body language instead of showing up as like a a complaint where i say hey i don't like this thing that you're doing Mm -hmm. 
right? It's it, think of it as your repressed feelings leaking out in a really toxic way. Right. So you've bottled up all of these negative, like this resent, and you it's your bottle is starting to crack and it's yeah. leaking out. <laughs> and it always will. Uh, I mean, I think we've said this before, but feelings buried alive never die. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has a limit. Mm-hmm. That means you. That yep. means me. Everybody can't, has a limit. You can't just say, oh, well, I'll just make more space, you know, because I've, I've met people who say like, well, it's okay. I'll just adjust. And right. it's like, or, they oh, I'll just it. let it go. But you don't actually let it go. Yeah. Like you're saying you'll let it go because either you want, you don't want to deal with the conflict or sometimes you're legitimately afraid to deal with the conflict. Like. Yeah. It's there's lots of reasons you might do it, but one way or another everybody has this point where enough is enough and at that point contempt starts to leak out. All right. And so what would that what would that look like in action? Just because I know for me I have a hard time visualizing the difference between criticism and contempt and like I I have a hard time imagining what that looks like. Yeah, so criticism would be you have uh, would would be you're lazy instead of you haven't helped me with the dishes at all this week. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you see how that's just about character? It's a, it's a descriptive word, lazy. So the criticism is you're lazy. Right. Right. Now contempt would not just be you're lazy. It wouldn't just be using a character word to describe you. It would be more of a name calling kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And it would have a lot of, really negative energy behind it where it's not just I'm frustrated with you, but it's like, I actually see you as kind of like a gross or disgusting in a way mm-hmm. on like an emotional level, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, I can't believe you. Yeah. Right. It's, it's eye rolling, sneering, scoffing, name, name calling, calling um, mean spirited teasing, right? We all know that there's some good natured ribbing and poking fun that happens sometimes like Leah and I, we tease and Mm -hmm. there's things that we tease about. Um, But if I am making jokes at Leah's expense with the intent to make her look stupid. Right. 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 Or if what's behind that is suppressed negative feelings for me, right. Where I'm making it sound like a joke, but it's not actually a joke. It's my negative feelings leaking out at her expense. Mm -hmm. That's, those are some examples of where we start to get into contempt. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's body language, it's words. The key is that it reaches this level of kind of mean spiritedness mm-hmm. and that it's a manifestation of those withheld negative emotions. Those are like the big things that lead to contempt. And it's obvious when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. You it's just not, can't miss it. Yeah. It's not typically very subtle. Right. Like it's there. Because you have passive aggressive where, okay, let's say in this scenario, so because we've used this, I think, with the criticism, but like with dishes and, um, you know, with criticism, I could say you're lazy and you never do the dishes kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, contempt might look like if you ever did do the dishes, I would be like, oh, good for you. You did the dishes. Look, I'm such a helpful, you know. Mocking, actually. That's, you just gave me a really good example. (laughs) Mocking is another example, right? Where I'm I'm, I'm mimicking you in an offensive and demeaning sort of way. Okay, yeah. And like, I can, I can say, you know, you're lazy and you never help me with the dishes. And I can say that with a tone of annoyance and frustration, but it doesn't necessarily communicate that I'm disgusted with who you are as a person. Right. Contempt, it could be the same words, but it's said with a tone of like, you are so lazy. You mm-hmm. never help me do the dishes. Yeah. 
You right? piece of garbage. I just, yeah. Yeah. Where it's yeah. just, it's got that added tone of you disgust me. That's mm-hmm. really at the root of it. Right. So it's not necessarily the words you say as much as it is the tone and the intent with which they're said okay. and what's behind the words. It's like, if you imagine, it, we talked about this before, we've all heard the, the phrase passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. The passive part of that is where someone does something that bothers you and you don't say anything. You just kind of hold on to it. And let's say you do passive, 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 and you've got all these things that you're holding on to. Contempt often is the aggressive part of passive aggressive, mm-hmm. where it comes back later. And all these things that I've been passive about and not said anything about, now I'm communicating it, but I'm communicating it with the energy of something that's festered. Yeah. Maybe is a good way to put it. That is a good way to put it. Yeah. It's and, built up. And... And, and just to tell you how toxic contempt really is, it's not even just an emotional thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it is the number one of the four horsemen, right? It's the number one predictor of divorce. Oh, dang. Like if you had to pick any one of the four horsemen or any one thing that pr- would predict best whether or not a couple makes it, it would be the presence of contempt. Mm-hmm. Really strong predictor. But it's also associated with, get this, uh, when there's contempt in a marriage, when couples are contemptuous with each other, then it actually is associated with uh, higher rates of getting the cold getting or getting the flu or getting a cold. Mm-hmm. Right? You actually get sick more because we know that stress weakens your immune system mm-hmm. and this creates all kinds of toxic stress in a relationship yeah. and people are actually more susceptible to illness. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? That adds up. So don't be contemptuous. You little... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't be contemptuous. Be nice to each other. Also, if you'd like to read a little bit more about this, then uh, you can go to thoughthoney.com and there's a blog titled The Thing That Poisons Relationships Most. And it'll give you several examples of contempt and a little more information. All right, now we get to move on to my personal favorite segment, which is Ask a Therapist. That's me. That's you. <laughs> I married one. Okay. I should have a Muppet voice that I can use for those situations. <laughs> I hold your therapist here. Uh, that's me. <laughs> um, okay, Andy, what's our first, What's well, it's not our first question, but what's this question? All right. So today, from one of our listeners, the question is, why do I always say the worst thing when I'm nervous? How do I stop doing this? Oh, I feel this question because <laughs> I find myself in this scenario often when I'm nervous. I'm either I either say the wrong thing, I say too much, I talk too much because I'm nervous, or I don't talk at all and I really want to. Yeah, or instead of saying the thing you really wanted to say, you say exactly not that. Yes, and something totally different. Yes. And then later you're like, wait, why did I say why did that? I say that. Why did I not say nothing? <laughs> Makes me think of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And he says he's allergic to peanuts to relate with her because he's nervous. And then when they get down to it, they're like, oh, no, it's peanut brittle. We can't go down. And he's like, oh, I can. I'm not really allergic to peanuts. (laughs) And she's like, why would you lie about that? (laughs) Did you think you having an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts would make me more attracted to you? (laughs) Oh, the myth that common interests hold a relationship together. Yeah, Um, we're relatable. I think of Mike Birbiglia. What I should have said was nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Great line. Um, So, dear listener, you are far from alone. And there's actually a really 
I mean, I don't want to say simple reason why, but I, I can actually answer this question as to why do we say the worst things when we're nervous. So there are different kinds of emotions, different layers of emotions. And you, you may have even heard of this, right? We have primary emotions, we have secondary emotions, even tertiary emotions. There's all sorts of, sorts of cool graphics on the internet that will kind of give you we'll images share for one this. on Instagram. <laughs> but uh, primary emotions, there's not that many, right? And nervous isn't one of them. And so whenever we're dealing with an emotion that's not a primary emotion, what's helpful sometimes is to kind of dive deeper and to say, okay, so here's the emotion that I'm feeling what's underneath that? What's underneath that? And I'm going to keep asking that question until I get to something that's primary. And so for anything related to nervousness and anxiety, right? Typically what we end up getting back to is fear, right? Fear is one of the primary emotions Mm -hmm. that typically is behind something like this. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing is when your brain is in that mode, when you're feeling fear, right? There's a lot of things that happen that are not in your favor when it comes to social situations and using words. Right? <laughs> it's not your fault. This is just this is your brain, right? And the 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 short version is that our brains have evolved to pick up on things that are potential dangers really really quickly. And in fact, by the time the part of our brain that does words gets the message, right? The part of our brain that decides if we should be scared of something or not has already been running for like a second and a half or so. Right. And so basically what happens is you get put into this this stress response, this fear response, fight or flight mode. You've heard it called all these different things. And what happens there is uh, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure goes up, your body pumps certain hormones, stress hormones into your blood. So things like adrenaline, things mm-hmm. like cortisol, right? And the purpose of that is to... Um, is to pump more blood to the large muscle groups in your body, basically to prepare you to either run away or, or punch someone in the face, <laughs> right? And so we're, we're talking legs, we're talking shoulders, arms. And where does that blood come from? Your brain. So your brain is actually operating on less blood flow and it's operating at a lower capacity when you're in this fear response. And so it's kind of ironic that the way that our brains evolved to keep us safe actually make us really dumb sometimes <laughs> when we need our brains to be it's online so the most. And so it's like when I need my brain to be at a hundred percent and helping me, it's operating at like half capacity because it thinks I need to punch someone in the face, which I know I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Right. Hopefully. Um, and so that's kind of the reason why we tend to say things and later be like, wait, what, what was I thinking? Yeah. It's like, well, you probably weren't, but it's also not your fault entirely. It's right. like, this is just the way that we are. You walk away from like an altercation and you all of a sudden have all these really great things you wish you had said in that moment. I get that all the time. Yeah. And the, the really crazy part is your brain doesn't actually differentiate between um, social dangers and physical dangers. Mm-hmm. It lumps them all into the same bucket. And uh, one really cool example that we use here uh, in my organizational development work when we're teaching about feedback in the workplace and things like that is this study they did with virtual reality where they would simulate certain scenarios for people and they would measure brain activity and do imaging and all sorts of cool stuff. And what they found is that the same pathways and a similar magnitude right, of response would happen in the brain when someone heard fast footsteps behind them at night and when someone heard, I have some feedback for you. 
Oh, that specific right? line. It's I the, have yeah, feedback for yeah, you. Yeah, it's the same response in the brain, whether it's the social threat of feedback or whether it's the physical threat of fast footsteps behind you in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not even saying figuratively. This is like a literal thing. Our brains don't differentiate. Wow. So first of all, go easy on yourself, right? It's not, it's not our fault. In fact, we probably wouldn't even be alive if we didn't have this feature. Well, so is there, so part of their question was, um, how do I stop this? Well, just, just stop being afraid. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you're done. I think Bippity of, boppity boo. You know that old uh, SNL skit with Bob Newhart where he's the therapist and the woman comes into his office and he starts telling her that he bills in five minute increments and usually they don't need the full five minutes, but you know, tell me your problem. And so she tells him that she's afraid of being buried alive in a box. And so he has this big, long lead up where he says, I have two words. And these two words will solve all of your problems if you just apply them correctly, right? And then his two words, okay, so this is what's going to fix it. Stop it. And she goes, excuse me, stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. That should, that should <laughs> take care go, of it. you are cured. Right. Uh, go watch the skit. It's really funny. <laughs> um, of course, it's more complicated than that. But on some level, what we have to do is we have to figure out how to manage our stress response in those moments and try to bring our brain back online right? So that we have more of our mental capacity to say what we mean to say and say Mm -hmm. what we want to say, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not perfect, right? But there are things we can do. So the first thing is to recognize signs that this is happening to you. So like being aware of your body. So like your heart rate's going up, you're feeling your armpits get sweat. Like for me, my thing is armpit. I'm like, I know I'm nervous when my armpits are sweaty. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I'm sweating. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. So just being aware of your like bodily manifestations of anxiety (laughs) interesting phrase i feel all the energy of hell float up to the top of my head oh and i just feel it in my head and i can like feel my pulse in my scalp like it's it's specific to i mean different people feel it in different ways the physiology can be similar but for some people they sweat profusely some people shake i get a little shaky sometimes Mm yeah me too um for some people, Your it's, voice might get they get flushed, voice gets quivery. Some people are able to hide it physically better, but maybe it's knots in the stomach, mm, yeah. right? Lots yeah. of different things that could be happening, but get to know yourself. And the thing is, is if you recognize the physical signs that you're in this fight or flight mode, then um, it's it actually is a really, really powerful tool because instead of having to deal with the messy stuff happening in your brain, you can say, oh, hey, I know this physical feeling. I think this, this might be what's happening here. Right? And it can bring that really instant awareness that I am in this fight or flight place. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what that might tell you is, okay, first of all, I need to slow down a little bit. Right? Maybe I need to remember to breathe. Deep breathing can actually help bring us out of that space. Uh, self-talk can be helpful. Like how, what dialogue is running in our head. For example, hey, I know right now my brain is thinking that I'm in danger. I'm not actually in any physical danger here, right? Mm-hmm. You're not being chased by a leopard, probably. <laughs> I mean, like if the leopard is making unwelcome comments and also chasing you, then you can come back and tell me like, hey, Andy, I didn't know how to set boundaries with that leopard because I was afraid for my life. <laughs> but until that happens, you know, we're going to say that you're typically not in physical danger in these moments where you get some kind of emotional trigger for your, your fight or flight mode. Yeah. Right? Um, so what, what else? Deep breathing, self-talk, reminding yourself of what's really going on. Um, 
putting some space between yourself and your feelings just in general is a really good practice so that in this moment where I'm feeling afraid, I can know, hey, this is the experience that I'm having. This is how I'm feeling. It doesn't necessarily reflect reality. And I don't want to let that feeling dictate what I say. Instead, I want to make mm-hmm. a choice about what I say. And the better we can get at separating ourselves from our, our emotions, our automatic emotions and thoughts, the better we'll be at managing these situations as mm-hmm. they come up. And so it's not just about what you do in the moment. It's how you manage your emotions in general. And so some of the best ways to do that are uh, going to therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just doing that work on yourself, figuring out, you know, where are these things coming from for me? What are some of the things that push my buttons? Um, sometimes it's healing from things that have happened to us in our lives. Yeah. Another really great practice is meditation. Meditation is is perfect for this because it's designed, mindfulness meditation is designed perfectly to separate you from your thoughts and your feelings, to separate your identity from that, to separate your choices from your thoughts and and your feelings. And to make you more mindful of your body. Yeah. And yourself. Yeah. So frankly, just a regular practice of meditation prepares you for these moments. Can be the best thing to help you deal with emotional moments. Yeah. Right. So that would, that would be my, my best, uh, over the podcast advice. (laughs) So thanks for the question, listener. It's a good one. We'll be right back after this. Hey, honey, you're looking thoughtful today. What you thinking about? Oh, just death. I wonder what it's like. Hmm. Well, maybe we could find some Yelp reviews to help us. (laughs) Yeah, let's look them up. Let's see. All right. Oh, ooh, here's a five-star review from some guy named Buddha. And he says, life is suffering. And he gave it five stars. Hmm, I'm baffled. I don't. I don't know what That's to make deep. of that. <laughs> a little concerning, honestly. Who is, who is this Buddha guy? Yeah. Let's see. Who else do we have here? Let's see. From a certain a, a Jesus. Uh, he says, "Tried it for three days. Didn't like it, so I quit." My friends were a little confused at first when I stopped being dead, but now we all agree it was for the best. Rated st- rated death two stars. Two stars, huh? Uh, he doesn't make mm-hmm. it sound good. I mean, it sounds like he, three days. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not convinced. Not convinced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Um. Okay. Here's another five star review though. It's from Joan of Arc, and she says, "Death is so hot right now. So hot." What does that even mean? <laughs> There's got to be some missing context. I wonder if she's still around. Can we ask her a seance? <laughs> yeah, we should check. Uh, okay. Next. Uh, let's see. King Henry VIII. Bit of a lofty title, but whatever. Ooh, from a king, this has got to be good. So, King Henry says, Not really my jam, but it's an excellent choice for others in certain circumstances. It's gotten me out of a tight spot several times. Rates death four stars. Hmm. It sounds like he likes to use it, but yeah. doesn't really want it for himself. Yeah, not for... That's suspicious. Not for everyone. That's huh? suspicious. Highly suspect. Highly suspect. And then let's see, there's one more here from Janet with Forever Young Essential Oils. Who puts that in their title for a Yelp review? Huh. Huh. Well, uh, so Janet says, with the right blend of our deluxe essential oils, you don't even need to think about death. You'll live to be 200 years old and look 20 the whole time. Plus, you can quit your job and work under me selling essential oils, especially if you need to alienate your friends or if you need more disappointment in your life. And her rating... Oh, this is weird. Five stars, one star, who cares? If you know the power of forever young essential oils, death isn't going to matter. 
I don't know. I don't even know how to make that, but it sounds like we should probably be selling it. I don't know if we learned anything here. <laughs> it was not helpful. Welcome back. Well, we're going to transition from death to brains and continue on this vein for negativity bias. Death and brains and veins? <laughs> this is Halloween. Oh, my. That's the most Halloween-y thing I've heard. Death and brains and veins. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Welcome to the zombie podcast. <laughs> the thought zombie podcast. The thought zombie <laughs> See, that's, com that's complex. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on there when you, you think about warm it. bodies? <laughs> oh, zombies get regaining consciousness. Yeah. Oh, did I ruin the movie? Oh. It starts, Spoiler. It starts pretty early on. Yeah, if you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. The zombies become people again. Yeah, <laughs> I said it. That's right. You're welcome. All right, so... Negativity bias. This is really what we're talking. We're not actually talking about zombies. Uh, we're talking about another thing that our brain does. Um, and so this is a little bit of an extension of our ask a therapist bit that we did a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And um, really in the same, not in the same vein. I can't believe I'm coming back to this. Like, what is wrong with me? Okay. So veins on the it's in the same vein. I'm just going to own it. Same vein. So what negativity bias really is is it's the tendency for the human brain to give more emotional and psychological weight to negative stimuli than to positive stimuli of the same magnitude, right? So here's what that really means broken down, is it means that if I have, let's say, a level on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say I have a level 5 positive interaction with another person, and then I have a level five negative interaction with that person, those events don't cancel out mm. for our relationship, right? So it's not like, ooh, I yelled at my kids. Let's say that's a level five offense on one to 10. And so now I need to buy them ice cream, level five positive. I can't just buy my kids ice cream and cancel out yelling because the yelling sticks a lot more than the, the ice, ice cream, cream, even though, as I say that, ice cream is very sticky, <laughs> depending on the age of your children. You wouldn't know it from our two-year-old. <laughs> but there's actually, neuroscientists say that the brain is Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive experiences. Interesting If analogy. that gives you an image. Yeah. Which seems counterproductive, right? We're kind of, it feels like this is a thing that we fight all the time. And like, why would our brains be this way? How is this adaptive and helpful in any way at all. Right, because it seems like it causes unnecessary suffering in your own self, if that's the case. Oh, and it, it, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it causes all kinds of suffering. In fact, if you go way back to some of the very first episodes of the podcast, we talked about uh, John Gottman's five to one ratio, positive to negative interactions during conflict for couples, mm -hmm. and how it takes five positive interactions during conflict for every one negative interaction for that ratio to balance out as being healthy. Mm -hmm. right? Five to one positive to negative. That's a manifestation of negativity bias, right? That one positive does not cancel out one negative, assuming they're kind of of the same Caliber. magnitude, same yeah. energy, right? And so why is this adaptive in any way? Well, here's the thing. So I'm going to give you the classic example, and we may have shared this before, but uh, let's go way back thousands of years to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. 
let's say I am a hunter-gatherer and I am gathering. I'm out in the woods and I come upon a berry bush. And of course, the reward of berries is great, right? That means calories. That means food, living survival, right? Yeah. And so I approach the bush, right? And let's say for my level of hunger that day uh, and my need for calories, let's say on a scale of one to 10, call it a level five, right? As I approach the bush, it starts to rustle, right? Now, there's a lot of things that could be rustling that bush. Could be a raccoon, mm-hmm. could be a squirrel, could be a family of birds, right? Could be a tiger. It could be a saber-toothed tiger that's going to eat me, mm-hmm. right? So let's say that the odds that the thing in that bush is big enough to hurt me and eat me, let's say that's a level five risk. Could be small, no big deal, could be big, right? So if I approach the bush and I risk it to get berries and I'm wrong, it's game over. Right. Right? No more berries, no more chances, that's it. If I decide to bail and get out of there, right, no berries, but... I get to live another day and try to find more food somewhere else, right? And so basically, uh, the way one of my colleagues says it is that all of our fearless ancestors got eaten by tigers, <laughs> right? Because they were like, oh, look, berries. Yeah, it could be a tiger. No big deal. I'm hungry. Right, but right? they got eaten, so they didn't get to more pass of them on got their eaten. genes. Yeah. They didn't get to pr- Yeah, okay. So the, the, the genes that give more weight to potential negative and risk avoidance when caution. it comes to survival. The cautious yeah, ones. Those, those got passed down. Got it. And so now the human race, it's really cool because we're alive and we've progressed a lot. A bunch of anxious monkeys. But we monkeys. all have anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Right? We all have anxiety. Um, and fear. I mean, the human brain is mm. so driven by fear. And so we can see how this is adaptive in some circumstances. And so we're kind of running around in a world with this difficulty and it's hard. It's and everyone totally has a hard it. thing. Everyone in, has this in their brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a universal human brain thing where we give more weight to negative than positive. Mm-hmm. No now, matter how much positive thinking you do. Yeah. And it's not necessarily adaptive anymore. Right? Because now it's we see it showing up in our relationships, right? Where when a bad thing happens, it's like, okay, we're trying to overcome this and it seems really hard. Mm-hmm. Right, because we have to do so much to overcome that negative thing, and it's like, why are we this way? It's like, well, it's because we survived, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the thing that we have to do at this point is to recognize that socially, human beings have evolved faster than we've evolved biologically, mm. and so we have to make some choices to balance out this negativity bias that we carry around. Right. right? So we have to intentionally pursue some of these positive things. We have to kind of recalibrate sometimes, right? Where something negative or something fearful shows up, right? We talked about that fight or flight thing mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. to people earlier. When that shows up, we have to recognize that oftentimes it's either blown out of proportion or our brain is reacting as if it's a physical threat when it's really not, mm-hmm. right? And it turns out that when you need to, you know, say, fix your marriage or apologize to a friend, thinking that you're going to die is not helpful, but that's kind of where your brain goes. Right. Right. So we just have to fix some of this and and fight some of this a little bit. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about this actually in just a second as we wrap up today. Okay, then. All right. Now it is time for our bee from the hive. But today we have just kind of made up our own bee and it's be grateful. Well, uh, one of the reasons we chose this one for today before I get to the action 
is that with talking about negativity bias just now, one of the best things you can do to fight negativity bias in a really positive way is to intentionally do some kind of gratitude practice. When you intentionally look for things to be grateful for in your life, it can be a great way to balance that positive negative scale and to not feel like the negative is, is weighing you down too much because those things do get really heavy and it's easy to forget what we have when we're in uh, tough times or when we're not feeling great. And so the action that goes along with this is actually related to my favorite holiday, which is Thanksgiving. Christmas is okay. The other holidays are eh, they're all right. Um, but Thanksgiving is really where it's at. Yeah, for you're me. a big Thanksgiving buff. And um, I think it's a great opportunity to really focus on gratitude for the month of November. And so our action for Be Grateful is uh, just that we want to invite you to participate in some kind of gratitude practice daily between uh, whenever you hear this and Thanksgiving this year. And so that could be as simple as a gratitude journal where you just write down things that you're grateful for once a day. Uh, there's lots of things you could do. Mm-hmm. Leah's going to share an example, and then I'm going to share an idea. And Yeah, there, there are yeah. so many examples of how to include daily gratitude. Um, one that I just really love and I'm excited to do with our little boys is um, you get a pumpkin and you put it in the middle of the kitchen table, and every day each of you in the family writes like in a circle or like starting at the top of the pumpkin, you're basically writing what you're grateful for that day and it fills the whole pumpkin. And when Thanksgiving comes around, it's like the centerpiece and you get to see all of the things that you are grateful for every day written on the pumpkin. And it just looks really cute and cool. That is really cool. Are we doing it on a real pumpkin? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so one thing that I, I, I started doing this last year and I actually really liked it. And so I'm going to do it again this year. I think it's going to become an annual thing is starting November 1st. Um, I do for me, I do it mostly on social media, but essentially the, the gratitude practice is that you reach out one-on-one to a person that, you know, it can be someone that you talk to all the time. It can be someone that you haven't talked to in years, but you share something heartfelt and sincere. It can be simple. Just make sure it's sincere with that person about why you're grateful for them or a reason that you're grateful for them or something you appreciate about them. And you do that mm-hmm. all through November. And um, I really enjoyed doing it last year. It was really fun. Um, and it actually made me, it, it got me to say things that I really meant to people that I never would have said it to if I hadn't been so deliberate about it. Right. And uh, so one of the things we're going to do is we're actually going to post this on all of our, our social media. So keep an eye out for it. And if you would like to participate in the post and, and share that post, I think this year has been a tough year and we've been right. <laughs> socially distant. If you're not sick of hearing that phrase yet. Right. Um, and I think it has brought to the forefront the importance of people and relationships and getting yeah. to be around other people. Yeah. And things that we took for granted, maybe. Yeah. I mean, just to use another cliche, mm-hmm. you don't know how, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Right. And we've lost a lot of things this year. We've lost a lot of our interactions. And I'm sure there's been times where you've realized how much you need the people around you, whether mm-hmm. it's people at work, people that you usually get to see a lot that you don't get to see a lot now. And I, I wonder if there would be a little bit of healing and a little bit of positivity if as many people as, as could would participate in this. Mm-hmm. And if we really can share these good things that we appreciate about each other yeah. to kind of bring us back 
together because we need that. It's been a long year. Yeah. Let's. So the challenge being, let's spread the gift of gratitude. Yeah. This whole month. Yeah, and especially for other people, yeah. where you actually tell them. Don't just sit there and be grateful for the people in your life. Tell them mm-hmm. that you're grateful for them. Yes. So keep an eye on our all of our uh, social media accounts, and we'll be putting those things out real soon. Thanks for joining us today. If you liked today's episode, follow the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram for more great ideas. Also, check out our blogs and learn more about us on ThoughtHoney.com. Have a great day and remember to just be yourself. See you next time.